Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. As you can uh, see, as we kind of uh, scan the room here, uh, at an empty broadcast plaza and teleport. Normally, we have anywhere from 35 to 50 uh, men that, that are here every Wednesday. But because uh, you know we're trying to be good citizens in our society, and, and the government has has tried to you know as best we can can do minimize the impact of this COVID 19 pandemic. Uh, and uh, those of us here at the show and those of us with TheManChurch.com and Burgess Ministries, we want to do our part as good citizens. And uh, certainly we have uh, members of our Wednesday audience that here in the room that, that are you know my age and, and older guys as well. And, and we knew that that was an unnecessary position uh, to put everybody in, uh, and we want to do our part. But at the same time, uh, not stop having the Bible study. And, and I think that's one of the things we need to talk about starting out today before we get into the, the actual study today. I know there's been a lot of people uh, that have been, uh, they've been negative, uh, they, they've uh, been harsh uh, with some of the churches that have followed the government's recommendation and request to not meet in large gatherings for a period of time as if somehow that's selling out or that's a lack of faith or, uh, you know, choosing the government over God. And, and that, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. You've got to remember, you know, Romans 13, uh, we, we're clearly told to be good citizens. Now, if our government were to ever mandate that they're going to outlaw the worship of God, they're going to outlaw the meeting and studying of the Word of God, certainly no, we're not called to follow a law that blasphemes God, but praise God for the, for the technology that we've been afforded. I mean, here we are still having the Bible study this week. Is it true that it, sometimes it's a lot better to be in the room? Is it true that it's better to be at my actual church? Certainly. Uh, but, but that isn't what it's all about. We're not limited from worship and getting into the Word of God. And so really, in my opinion, these pastors and those that are doing this and what we're doing today is the proper balance. Uh, we're not giving up our studying of the Word. We're not giving up uh, you know, having time in worship. We're just doing it with modern technology and, and going into more of a, a house church format with, with high-tech capabilities. So we're being a good citizen. We're looking after others that we might unnecessarily infect that may cost them their life, but we're still here you know, studying the Word of God. Uh, so I, I would back off on some of that criticism because I think it's a reasonable thing to do as long as we don't stop the worship and the studying of the Word. And I'll tell some of you this. Great opportunities have been afforded us right now, and I, and I know that women watch this and listen to this, uh, but it is a men's Bible study at, at the foundation. And, and I'm going to tell you guys, we've been given more time uh, you know, in our schedules. We've been given more time with children that maybe had uh, gone off to college or just uh, uh, children that, that still live in our home but are always on the go because our Little League sports have been canceled. Uh, uh, school activities have been canceled. They're not going to school right now. College uh, children are home, and Dad is not as busy as he usually is. Mom is not as busy as she usually is. I know at my house, we're getting unprecedented time together. The question we must ask ourselves is, what are we doing with it? Because, look, we, we look at 2 Timothy, and we'll look at that, and then we'll get into the Gospel of John today. I, I love what Paul says to, say, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 uh, when he talks about, you know, during these times of uncertainty. He said, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
So let's first of all take the first step during this, you know, unprecedented pandemic. And there's a lot of anxiety and, and there's a lot of fear. First of all, those of us under the authority of Christ that have been redeemed and are part of his church and are disciples and followers of Jesus, we are not called to a spirit of fear, period. So there shouldn't be unnecessary fear. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we can pull that off. It just means remember who we belong to. You know, he really makes this clear, Paul does, in, in Philippians 4, when he gets there uh, around verse 6 and then finishes out chapter 4, one of the things he tells us is to be anxious about, about nothing. And literally, that Greek word means zero, nothing. There's nothing we should be anxious about because we, I'm paraphrasing this part, don't forget who you belong to. And, and so focus on all the things that are accomplished in Christ. Because if you've been redeemed, the worst case scenario for all of us uh, is that we're about to end our time here on this earth and we're going to be found you know, in the presence of the Lord. But, but what's really happening more than that, because you know, the odds of us being you know, killed or losing our life and all this may be very low, but man, it sure has impacted our lives. I just looked in the face of a few people a minute ago when I grabbed something to go from a restaurant before this Bible study and looking into the eyes of the only three people that are left at the restaurant uh, doing takeout orders, they have legitimate concern because they don't know what's going to happen to their job. They're, the economy is a real concern, but it's still not something that should bring a spirit of fear. So, Rick, where's the balance? Where's the balance of not being anxious and not being afraid? Well, the balance is being prepared is not sinful. You know, not meeting together because we don't want to infect other people. That's not sinful. That's not fear. That's preparation. You know, like, like it, when Jesus says, you know, say, don't, don't be talking about things that are going to happen as if you know they're going to happen. But that didn't mean we don't plan for the future. He said, let me just tell you that what you really should say is, Lord willing, I'll come back tomorrow and do another Rick and Bubba show. Lord willing, I'll see grandchildren, uh, you know, from, from my children if I'm allowed to, to live that long. You know, it'd be like somebody saying, uh, Lord willing, I'm not going to get the virus because you don't know whether you will or not. You know, the Lord may allow that or he may, he may not. Uh, but either way, he is still on his throne. He is still sovereign. So that's why, and we're still redeemed because the sin virus, as my pastor said this past Sunday, which I loved, the sin virus is the virus we need to all be concerned about, the sin virus, because it not only takes your earthly life, it takes your eternal life. But here's the great thing, and this is the reason why we're not called to anxiety and fear. Preparation, concern, safety, absolutely. Because we don't test God by being reckless with our life either. But we don't live in fear like the rest of the world who, 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 who don't know what's going to happen to them. We know that we serve a sovereign God, and we know we've been redeemed, if you have, uh, in Jesus Christ. So here's what we have. We go out there, and you know what we say? We know that the sin virus, which is going to, could have killed us physically and eternally, has been resolved. You know, I don't want to be corny with it and flip it, but it's still a great analogy. Jesus Christ has given us the vaccine. He went to the cross and said, I defeat the sin virus. Uh, I defeated sin on the cross. I defeated eternal death when I walked out of the tomb. So the sin virus, what it could have done to you, I've stepped in the way of that and I've stopped it. Praise the Lord. We've been healed because we don't just go from lost to saved. Nothing wrong with that, or lost and found, or in trouble and saved. We go from dead, sin virus, to now being alive because now we've been redeemed and now we've been inoculated and no longer have to fear the sin virus. 
man, that's something to celebrate, right? So let's jump into our study today. Just want to hit you with a few of those things because I know it's chaotic. It's unprecedented, the things that are going on. But it's not the first time that human beings in a fallen creation have had to go through difficulty. It may, it may be unique difficulty, but difficulty has been around ever since the fall. And, and the Lord will see us through it. And to live as Christ and our hope in Christ, to die would be to be in his presence. But what we don't need to do is squander it. What have, we, what have we always said in this Wednesday Bible study about pain, suffering, uncertainty, uh, adversity? Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Because we know that Scripture tells us who, who God is, and so he's teaching all of us something during this because he allowed it to happen for multiple reasons. But, but we all are supposed to be looking for what he's teaching. And it might just be that he's taking that busy schedule and he's made it not so busy, so you'll spend more time focused on him. And maybe we'll spend more time discipling our children and being the spiritual leader for our wives. If you're a husband and a father that's uh, listening uh, to or watching this today, maybe that's what this is all about. So with that being said, I want to tell you about a couple of things. We have a, a, a something we put together. TheManChurch.com is live. All kinds of resources for you to go. What a great time. You remember when you said, I didn't have time to go to themanchurch.com and kind of get our game plan together for discipling men. You got time now. Themanchurch.com, go there. We have resources and we have something that is unique. We have a curriculum that you can use in a discipleship strategy for the men of your church. We give you the strategy. We give you the curriculum. And then for individual men, we have all sorts of other resources. So you can go in and do our whole 40-week curriculum if you want to. I teach 12 to 15 minutes on a video. You have study guides to go through. Or as an individual or a smaller group, you can go into our eight characteristics and say, I don't want to do 40 weeks, but I want to pick out groups of five weeks on different topics. You see all that there at themanchurch.com. It is live. And we also teamed up with our other partner, YM360, for youth ministry. And we are doing something called youthgroupathome.com. Youthgroupathome.com. For the next four Wednesdays, one will be tonight, if you're watching this or listening to this on Wednesday, uh, 7 o'clock Central Time, Andy Blanks, who's part of our team, will be giving you a youth group at home because most likely your kids aren't going to the youth activities. And you can listen to his message, go through the study guides that are provided. I've even written a little article there that kind of helps men who might have a, be a little anxious about the spiritual leader, leader job and, and, and kind of taking their family through this. Don't sweat that, okay? I've given you an article I think will put you at ease a little bit and give you a few pointers from an older guy that's learned this along the way with his own children as I have grown in my faith. So all that's available to you uh, at youthgroupathome.com. So take a look at that as well. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into where we are in the Gospel of John. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you that we, because of what you've done, do not have to live and anxiety and fear like the world has no idea what's going on. We know that none of this has caught you off guard. And another thing in today's lesson that you don't want to catch us off guard is the hatred of the world for those of us that have been redeemed. Lord, thank you for always. There's nothing that we might be asked to endure or go through that you haven't taught us about. If we don't know it, it's because we haven't been in your word. So today, may you teach us and refine us, and I pray that you protect not just our country, because this is a worldwide pandemic. You protect people of the world uh, you know, who are, who are in harm's way, and Lord, for those of us that are not in harm's way, but we've just kind of been inconvenienced, may we have mercy 
and empathy for those that this is much more than an inconvenience for them. Take our time today, Lord, and refine us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in the Gospel of John, we've been moving through this. We are in the end of chapter 15 today, and we're going to catch a little bit of 16. Uh, and, uh, and then when we jump into 16, uh, almost like God knew what he was doing, we're going to see us talking about some of the things that Jesus says about times of trouble. But today, we're going to focus on the topic, the hatred of the world. Now, if you remember the last time that we were together, uh, we, we in the, you know, because spring break was last week, so it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you haven't caught the last Bible study that we did, we talked about Jesus being the true vine. I am the true vine, and as long as we're connected to the vine as a disciple of Jesus, we should be producing fruit. Uh, and if you haven't checked, got that lesson, please go back and get it because it really, really impacted me when I realized that studying um, I am the true vine in chapter 15, the first part of 15, Jesus is saying pretty straightforward. He's talked about obedience in 14, and now in 15 he's talking about fruitfulness, which also, or obedience certainly part of that. And he says, if you're connected to the true vine and you are a true disciple of mine, then you will bear fruit. You know, he mentions this in Matthew 7 as well, as we've talked about, that a healthy tree will always bear good fruit because it's connected to the vine. But if you're not connected to the vine, then it's impossible to bear the proper fruit. So, so now that he's, he's accomplished all this and he's, he's talked about this and he's talked about our love for each other, he now begins to prepare us that if we are going to follow Jesus, so if we're connecting ourselves to the true vine and we begin to produce this fruit that is produced not by our self-control or our wonderful code of conduct, our power, it's produced by being connected to the power of the vine, being protected, uh, you know, being connected and protected uh, to Jesus and by Jesus. So now he says, I got to prepare you that if you are mine, the world will hate you. And uh, and I know for some of us, that's kind of a daunting statement. Oh, oh so I'm signing up to be hated by the world. Yes. In, in many cases, yes. Uh, matter of fact, he tells us even more in Luke 14, you might even be hated by your own family. Uh, by the way, because they, if, they, if they're not with Jesus, they also represent the world. They're just people of the world that you might know a little better. So he starts out by saying this. Listen to this. Let's look at verse 18 and 19. He says, if the world hates you, talking to us and to his disciples here, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Pretty straightforward. The purpose of the verse is really right out of the gate is this. He's eliminating the surprise factor. You know, that, don't, you, don't you love that when somebody says, now let me tell you what we're getting into here. Uh, I like that so much better than me getting in the middle of something and I'm looking around going, well, nobody told me about this. You know, John Lennon, you know, wrote a song one time, said, nobody told me there'd be days like this. Uh, but see, Jesus said, I want to, and it's so funny, so many times I've caught myself in the middle of something and just when I'm about to get into that, what's going on here, I'm reminded, wait a minute, we've been taught this. So the hatred of the world is something that should not surprise the disciple of Jesus. And he says, but really, the reason why they're hating you, it's not really even you. Let's go back to the Old Testament. When God the Father, what, when, when God would say this, hey, understand that when they reject your prophetic word, whatever prophet here, no, they're not rejecting you. They're really rejecting me. And we need to see that too when it comes to, to our sin in our life. But in this case, Jesus is saying it's your connection to the true vine back in the first part of 15. Your connection to me, the fact that you belong to me, see, I pulled you out of the world. Now, 
you know, and what he means by that, what he means is we, we, we're in the world, but not of the world. He's not saying that, you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting here doing this Bible study. Uh, he, he may snatch me out of here if all of a sudden he comes back to get his church. But what he's saying is, yes, I'm physically going to leave these disciples into the world, but you're, uh, but, but you're not going to be of the world. In the world and of the world, that isn't the same thing. And it's a difficult walk in a fallen creation. We struggle with it here, trying to do secular entertainment while at the same time never becoming part of the world. And sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. And when we don't, uh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, convicts me to the core, and, and I go back and try to correct that. But what he's saying is the world would love you if you would just be the way they want you to be. Now think about this. This is what hit me when I was studying this over spring break. So what Jesus is saying, remember he said this, he said, if, if you belong to me, then the world is going to hate you because they really hate me. So if it, it, and what, remember what happened we saw throughout the Gospel of John? What did Jesus continue to encounter? People who wanted Jesus not to be who he was, but to be who they wanted him to be. The same is true for you and me. If, if, unless you're not a disciple of Jesus, you may be a seeker, you may be searching. But I'm now speaking to the disciples of Jesus who said, I have been redeemed. I have submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus. I'm connected to the true vine. Once that's happened, once that happens, then the world will want you to be like them. And that's what Jesus is saying. And, and he said, so, so those who are, go, who are going to be associating with you, um, and, and it says anybody that's going to associate with Jesus, you know, we find out here when we did our study of Acts, why was everybody upset with John and upset with Peter? It says what? They recognized that they'd been with Jesus. And so what Jesus said going forward, when the world realizes that you're associated with me, you're associated with, a, with, with Jesus, who, who, who is part of the triune God, and he said a fallen, ungodly world will hate our God. They'll hate a holy God. And so if you're associated with a holy God, they're going to hate you too because I'm the most hated by the fallen world that he has come, of course, to redeem. He said, so, so we're going to start to appear alien to the rest of the world just like he did. He said the world is rebellious, so they hate those who submit to the ultimate king. They hate us for the fact that we have decided that we don't want to be part of the world anymore. We have gone to the person they hate the most, and we have submitted to the king. And if you don't believe that, just watch around right now. Pay attention to, to anything that's associated with God. As long as you keep it vanilla, as long as you keep it you know, kind of mundane and just use the word God. Now, don't identify God. Don't call him Yahweh or, or the great I am or anything like that. Just keep God. And, and as long as you'll stay right there, People, a lot of times, will even go along with you. Oh, that's sweet. But you bring up Jesus, it's a game changer. Have you ever noticed that? Even pay attention, you know, when you see people who are disciples of Jesus, when they try to go out into the world. I remember talking to the guys on Duck Dynasty, and and I watched, uh, you know, I know that there's a young lady that just tried to uh, go out and stand up for her faith on on this ABC show about The Bachelor, and, and I've seen some clips and stuff from it. And you notice, even when she begins to talk about her faith, and at one time, even when the Robertsons, uh, Robertsons were going to talk about their faith, you can see them editing out the word Jesus. You'll hear religious, you'll hear spiritual, you'll hear God. But if they can remove Jesus, they will. And, of course, it's one of the things that Duck Dynasty stood up for and says, we're going to pray in Jesus' name, and if you can't handle that, you'll just have to take us off. So, so, but they had to fight 
to keep Jesus involved. They didn't have to fight to keep good morals or good conduct or, hey, we're trying to be good people and we try to help other people and we're spiritual, we're even religious. But you talk about Jesus and that brings the hatred. So let's, let's now go to 20. And, um, and, and so really, if the world likes us so much, we must not talk about Jesus much. Uh, so let's go to 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If, remember what we said about if? Little word, huge meaning. If you keep my word. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, you should expect the same thing. Okay, that's what he's saying. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Okay? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So what, what is he he's saying? Obviously a little more uh, here. He says he's reminding them of the example of, of washing feet. Remember he said you know, that, uh, that a servant is not greater than his master, meaning if I'm going to wash your feet, then you need to be washing each other's feet. You don't look to me because I am your master, I am your Lord, and say, well, the master and the Lord is doing this, but I don't think I have to. No, a servant's not greater than his master. So he says, but... This also means that, the, that the, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. He said, they will follow your teachings about as well as they followed mine. You know, that was, that was the part I really had to study on. I didn't fully understand the first time I looked at it. What does he mean if they kept my word, they will also keep yours? Well, what he's saying is, if you belong to me and you behave the way I told you to behave, you've been empowered by me, and you begin to preach what I've told you to preach, meaning the message that I had and the message you have will be the same because you're connected to the true vine. And so what is it? Fruitfulness and, and the disciple. Remember we said discipleship and fruitfulness, they're the same thing. A disciple is fruitful and someone who's fruitful is a disciple. If you get it right and you're completely in sync with me, look for the world to hear the way you're teaching about the same way they heard me teach. And what was that? Most people turned against it. And that's what he's talking about. Let's look at 21. Uh, 21, but, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, which we just talked about, uh, because they do not know him who sent me. It, it's about the name of Jesus. His name always brings persecution. And what he's saying, which he has said throughout the Gospel of John, if, if they truly know God, any of these people that claim to know God, if they truly know God like they claim, they would have treated me, Jesus, differently. And now how does that apply to today? Because obviously he's talking about, you know, the Jewish people that claim that they were God's chosen people and, and that they knew God and they knew everything about God. And he said, well, you obviously didn't because you rejected me. But that still plays to today because what I just said a minute ago, if someone sits down with you, if you, if you don't believe me, you try, try, try this scripture out. Be in a situation with someone that may not share our beliefs or you don't know what they believe or, or whatever it is. And you can say, so tell me about yourself. Are you religious? Yes, I am. There'll be no issue. So are you spiritual? Yes, I am. I, I am spiritual. You go to church? I do go to church. Okay? All that works. I mean, this, this is the reason why you can see all these people that are always talking about God and being spiritual and being religious. And you look at their life and go, it must not be all that big a part of their life. I used to be this guy, so I know. But this is different. Try this. So tell me about yourself. Uh, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Try that one and see how that goes. 
It's a game changer. There'll be the most discomfort, unless you, you've met a fellow follower of Jesus, then, then it'll be celebrated. But I'll tell you, there's two people that'll be real, two types of people that'll be really uncomfortable with the name of Jesus, very uncomfortable with the name of Jesus, or any real name of God himself. And that is the cultural Christian. Cultural Christians don't like to hear about Jesus either. I mean, they understand the concept of Jesus, but disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus, they really prefer things like big man upstairs and, and that kind of garbage that we've talked about before because they want to make God something that's easier to sin against. A disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, that's a little tougher than a believer of Jesus or, hey, I like the things Jesus teaches. I like being spiritual. I like religious. I like even, even a kind of an obscure God is fine. But Jesus is a game changer. And, and he makes this very clear. So, and he says that, that when, when they hear my name, he said, if it offends them, they can claim to know God all they want to, but someone who truly knows God, who truly knows the triune God, who truly knows Yahweh, who truly knows the great I am, those who truly know God, they don't have a problem with me because they know me. And uh, so that, you know what he says? That's the signal of whether someone really belongs to God or not is whether they acknowledge Jesus as who he is. And are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you just somebody who believes things about Jesus? It, it's different. And if you don't believe that, you try that. You watch the reaction. It's completely different. So now let's go to verse 21. Verse 21, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Now let's go to 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now they got no excuse, and we'll continue. So then he goes on, look at 23. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus is not saying, let me tell you what he's not saying first. Jesus is not saying in these verses that there was no sin in anyone prior to him. Sin didn't arrive till Jesus arrived. That's not what he's saying. We certainly know that sin was going on before Jesus came to us when we could not come to the Father. Uh, but what he's saying is now they are guilty of rejecting God's resolution for sin. Now let's land there for a minute. He's not saying that there was never any sin before he came, but when Jesus Christ came into the world, the reason why that was a game changer, we've been talking about this, this is now going to be a new covenant. There's been sin in the world. Um, uh, my father set up the sacrificial ritual and the systems, and that's been going on. All that's over. Here comes the final Lamb of God. And, and when he says, so now that I have come, it, it's a game changer when it comes to the sin of rejecting God's resolution for the very sin problem they've had since the fall in the garden. It, it's like it's saying, look, this is a double offense. You, you've already been in sin. You've already been struggling with sin. You've, all, you've already been given the sacrificial system. The Gentiles over here, they're all out of control. They don't know what to do. But now I've come into the world, and I've said to the Jew and to the Gentile, I've said, I am now God's narrator. We've talked about that a lot. I am now God's resolution for sin. And he said, I went around, and I preached that, and I taught that, and, and I was very clear about who I was. I'm the resolution for sin. I am the Lamb of God. I'm here. And they don't have excuse anymore because I've clearly told them who I am. I've clearly said this, and now they've rejected it. If I had never come, they wouldn't be guilty of the sin of rejecting God's resolution for sin. 
And he says this is problematic. Now it's a whole new situation. They're now rejecting redemption. And see, what do we know? That's the only unforgivable sin. It is to reject redemption. The sin against the Holy Spirit. We see in Scripture that all sin is forgivable except to reject redemption in Jesus Christ. And so, but don't miss the other thing that he's saying, especially to those of you like me, I'm in this category, you're watching this, you're listening to this, and you have been fortunate enough to live in parts of the world and parts of this country where you have been presented the gospel as clear as you could possibly be presented, not one time, not two times, not three times, not four times, over and over and over again. If you, and I know a lot of you watch this or listen to this all over the country, and I'm so thankful for that, but I still know when you get into the Rick and Bubba sphere of influence, the majority of that influence is is found in the Bible Belt. It's not exclusive to the Bible Belt. Praise the Lord for that. But 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 there's there's a large chunk of of people that know this product and know this platform, and 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 I thank you for your friendship. But you're like us, all the members of the show. You were raised in in, in a culture of Christianity. It, the gospel was presenting everywhere. You you couldn't even drive you know, down the road without seeing billboards that tell you how to get saved, and you pass more churches than you do gas stations. Okay, so we are without excuse. Well, Jesus is saying, look, once you know who I am and you reject me, you reject redemption. And he says that really is the ultimate sin. And, and here's it's kind of like, did you ever hear this from your parents? I did. Have you ever said it to your children? If you have any children, you ever got into anything and whatever it was, and your response was, you should have known better. Oh, I can still hear my mother saying that over and over when I would do something. You know why she said you should have known better? Because I was taught how to behave. She didn't come up and say, well, today let me teach you about doing this because you didn't know because nobody ever told you. You know, I think, about, I think about Matthew 7. I'm sorry, Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, and, and it's documented another time in one of the Gospels. I can't recall off the top of my head. But I know it is in Matthew 11. And, and that is, and if you look in the, in the, you know, how Bibles sometimes have a title of, of the verses coming up, and, and, and mine says, woe to the unrepented cities. And what Jesus was taking on was these three cities, these three regions, you know, and you could say the Bible Belt, really. Uh, you would start with America, because we certainly have had a Christian culture here, where I think we're moving into a post-Christian culture. But the Bible Belt is, is, is a different animal, because there's a lot of versions of Jesus, and, the, and there has been correct uh, versions of of the gospel at least taught. You know, we're moving away from repentance a little bit, which means it's not a true gospel. But most of us had learned what God did through Jesus, and so that will be the same way about these cities where Jesus had done ninety percent of his miracles. And and he's saying, "Woe to these three cities!" and and I believe it was Capernaum, uh, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. And, and he said, "Woe to you three cities, because if." Sodom and Gomorrah and Sidon and Tyre, all cities that God wiped off the face of the earth because they were so evil. He said, if these cities that God destroyed would have seen and heard what you heard, because you three heard me teach who I am, you saw me do incredible signs, which he just mentioned in in verses 23 through 24, and you heard who I am and why I came clearly, and you still remain unrepentant. 
And Jesus says something very interesting. How much worse will it be for you on the day of judgment than for Sodom? Because if Sodom, Gomorrah, Tyre, and Sidon had seen me and saw the miracles and heard the teachings that God enabled you to hear, they would have repented. But you haven't. So how much worse will it be for you on the day of judgment than for them? Why? Because you should have known better. You're, you're without excuse. And, and, and I wonder sometimes how long it's going to take for those that have, you know, we're talking about viruses a lot now. We're talking about, uh, you know, trying to develop a vaccine and, and all this. But, but the only problem that we find on a spiritual vaccine is that's not what we're after. What do you mean, Rick? No, a sin one is fine, like I said. That's Jesus. But not a spiritual one. So what do I mean by that? I, I, I heard a friend of mine, Scott Dawson, use this example, and he's, he's spot on. And we're talking about our children. He said, you know, the thing I want for our children, because our children have grown up uh, in, uh, in the Bible Belt and in a, a culture of Christianity, he said, I don't ever want my children, or even us as adults, I don't want them to be inoculated with Jesus. I want them to have the disease. See, because how does a vaccine work? A vaccine gives you a little bit of the disease, but only enough that your body will be immune to the disease and then reject it. So we don't want our children, and, I, and, and we certainly don't want ourselves, to be inoculated with Jesus. We just got a little bit of Jesus. No, we want the disease. We, we, we want to be completely consumed with Jesus. And, and, and what Jesus was telling these cities and what he's saying to these people is, I got, I got news for you. You're without excuse now. You've heard the plan of redemption. You've heard who I am, and you've rejected me. And so um, he said, you know, and he even talked about all the signs that he had seen. So let's look at 25. May we not be found in that camp. Uh, we have no excuse. So 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Now, what does this mean? Uh, so Jesus says that, um, that none of their hatred, none of their, none of their hatred, is going to jeopardize God's redemptive plan. You know, you ever heard this said before? Just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> Just because I refuse to believe in gravity, I, I, don't, I don't make gravity cease to be a truth. It's still true. And so Jesus says, yes, you've hated me, but hating me is going to do nothing to, to stop me from then fulfilling God's redemptive plan. They hated me without reason. So what does he mean by that? They hated me without reason. Well, he's referring uh, to, uh, to some of the messianic uh, psalms. Uh, if, you, if you want to write this down in your notes, and this is good news about people not being in the room. Hopefully you're all set up somewhere where you can take some notes today and write this stuff down. Write down Psalms 35, 19, uh, and then write down Psalms 69, 4. So I'm going to go to the, the second one. They both reference this, but 69.4 uh, is a, a psalm that is messianic, and there's very few arguments uh, that it is. So I, I would underline Psalms 35.19, uh, they hated me without cause, but I would double underline Psalm 69.4. So here's what Psalm 69.4 says, more in, numbers, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Uh, so this is a messianic uh, you know, message. And don't miss the first part of four. More in number than the hairs of my head 
are those who hate me without cause. And then he goes on to say, mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. Those who hated me without, hate me without cause are more than the number of hairs on my head. See, I think this is one of the things that we as disciples of Jesus get a little antsy about when Jesus is talking about the hatred of the world. Even in this messianic psalm written a long time before Jesus came, most people are not going to be with us. And I don't say that out of arrogance and pride. I, I say that out of sadness because I didn't do anything to redeem myself. So there's nothing to be prideful about. You know, we, we, the Bible's clear about this. You didn't, you couldn't save yourself. So all I'm saying is I think sometimes we, we find ourselves confused uh, and sometimes disenfranchised that there doesn't seem to be a lot of people that are all in on being a disciple for Jesus and either they openly oppose him, and that's getting more and more, or they just kind of apathetically oppose him. I think one of the, the latter, uh, the first one's difficult, and it's hard, and it's shocking, but I think the second, the apathy, might even be more sad. I think one of the worst things that somebody can, how one of the worst ways somebody can respond to the gospel and respond to Jesus is kind of with a shrug. Yeah. Jesus, yeah, it's all right. Nah, I don't want it to be. I don't want to come in and kind of inconvenience my life. I certainly want it to save my life. Whenever we get to that, and uh, and and to me, uh, that's something that uh, you should understand. Uh, Matthew seven. We talk about that a lot. We refer to it because a lot of this goes with some of the themes in John. But uh, Jesus says, you know, when it gets down to it, it's the road that's wide and easy that leads to destruction, and many are on that road. Now, a lot of people on that road are not people that are going to scream and holler and come after you and persecute you. A lot of them on that road would just rather not be around you if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, they would like to keep the Jesus thing in a nice little box, and let's not get carried away about it. Uh, but the, he says, actually, the road to follow him is, is, is a narrow gate, and it's hard, and the word is hard. So easy and wide is destruction, many. And then narrow is the gate, hard is the way, and few are the ones on it. Few find it. So understand that most of the people that we encounter, if we become disciples of Jesus Christ, most of the people we encounter in the world will not be with us. And Jesus is preparing us for that. And um, so now, 26 and 27, we start getting ready for something that Jesus keeps promising. And he says, but when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, what does he mean by that? The Holy Spirit will now enable us. We're, we're, we're connected to the true vine, and, and part of the power of the true vine is access to God in his completion. Father, Son, and now Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit will now enable us to bear witness about Jesus correctly. Think about that. So, you know, go back to even Peter, John, the disciples. They would bear witness about Jesus to a point before they got the Holy Spirit, but never correctly. They'd have little glimmers, and Jesus kept telling them, let's tone it down to I give you the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying now is I'm going to give you a helper 
and I'll send him to you directly from the Father. He'll be the Spirit of truth. And now he proceeds from the Father, and he will bear witness uh, about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So what he's saying is you're going to bear witness about me now correctly. The Father bears witness, and the followers of Jesus bear witness all in sync. Think about that. He said the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to bear witness about me correctly just like my Father. The Holy Spirit will bring the truth that the Father has been saying about me and the truth you'll be saying about me. You and the Father will be in sync because of the power of the Holy Spirit and you will bear witness about who I am and you'll do it correctly. But listen to what he says about that. And because we're going to bear witness about Jesus in sync with the Father, I love in one of the commentaries I read, it said by the end of the first century, not many could say they had been with Jesus from the beginning. So, so why is he he's talking about you've been with me from the beginning? And what he's saying is when you begin to bear witness about me correctly and you will be in sync with the Holy Father, those that 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 truth will bring <clears throat> persecution from the world. Because the world in their sin and in their shame, they hate a holy God. And so what he's saying is because the, the Holy Spirit has come and now you're going to bear witness about me correctly, when you bear witness about me correctly, then you'll, you'll, you'll receive persecution. Don't let that get by you. If you say, well, I, I bear witness about Jesus and everybody seems to be just fine with it, you're probably not doing it correctly. And, and if you're not doing it correctly because you've probably presented to everybody, and I understand the pressure of it. I, I, look, I, I, I feel that pressure. I get it. There's always just a little bit of pressure, and I've seen this sometimes, sadly, in, in, in pastors. I mean, they'll be preaching, and they'll really be preaching a convicting message from the Word of God. They'll be preaching Jesus correctly. They'll be preaching the gospel correctly, and because when you preach the gospel correctly, you're really preaching repentance. You know, Jesus, Luke documents, Jesus said, hey, repent or die. And all of a sudden, you'll see them just starting to pull back a little bit. Have you ever been watching a, a message or, or listening to a pastor, maybe in your own church, and you can see that conviction has come into the room, the Holy Spirit has come in the room, because the pastor, the preacher, the speaker is presenting Jesus and presenting the gospel correctly, and when it's presented correctly, it calls for repentance, and the discomfort, the wonderful discomfort of the room because of the power of the convicting Holy Spirit is so overwhelming that sometimes the person delivering the message can't take it, and they back off. They, 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 they got their foot on the pedal, and they, and they back off and let us off the hook. So there is a tendency sometimes for all of us, because of the discomfort of the response, to sometimes not present Jesus correctly. But when he says that, that, that they had been there with him from the beginning, the beginning of his, uh, his ministry, he's saying that they now have set the model for us to follow. See, the reason why you and I are sitting here reading the very words, you know, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He's talking to these disciples, but he's also talking to you and he's talking to me saying they have set the correct example. They've been with me from the beginning. 
They went through the doubt. They went through the not getting it right. They went through, you know, uh, me on the cross. They went through me at the resurrection. They went through the 40 days of my teaching. I ascended to heaven. I gave them the message. They've now gone out into the world. They're now bearing witness about me correctly. That brought persecution on them immediately, and they're the example that you should follow. So, our, I mean, can, let's look at our life. Are you following that? Am, am I following that? Do you find yourself apprehensive about presenting and bearing witness about Jesus Christ correctly? Or do you find yourself dumbing him down a little bit to something that's a little more palatable? Uh, we know that's where all this big man upstairs stuff comes from. Have you, have you ever heard people, and look, I don't have any problem with this. Be, I don't want to draw any criticism on this, okay, because I don't mean it to be critical. This is for me personally. There's certainly nothing wrong with referring to yourself or someone as a believer, meaning you believe the gospel and hopefully you've been redeemed by the gospel. I really don't like that term in today's society of saying, well, tell me, are you a believer? Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that may believe in the concepts of Jesus. Uh, even, the, even the demons believe in Jesus. Satan himself certainly believes in Jesus. Um, a lot of people believe in Jesus. But have they submitted to the authority of Jesus, and are they a disciple and a follower of Jesus? I, I choose to use the term follower of Jesus, uh, disciple of Jesus. Not because, oh, look at Rick. He's going. I'm just telling you that that cuts out all the... It takes away any gray area. You know, I, I want to be sure they know that Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my Savior, because he can't be my Savior if he's not my Lord. And because he's my Lord, I'm his disciple, and I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a defender of Jesus. I've been redeemed by Jesus. I'm not just a believer in Jesus. And uh, again, I know that the word believer does not always mean that this is someone who, who is not in the proper relationship with Jesus. I don't mean that at all. I'm just saying if you don't want there to be any gray area, say you're a follower of Jesus. And that's exactly the example that we're supposed to follow. So we, we're going to go a little bit into 16, and then we're going to wrap up for today uh, because I think we need to get to this, this, this to, to verse 4 in 16, and then we'll close. So here, here's what he says uh, in, in 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering uh, service to God. And they will not do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told, you, uh, I told them to you. Um, he said, because they have not known the Father nor me, but yet they think they're doing things as service to God, the greatest dangers, and listen, this is important because this applies to us today. We got time. Okay, hang on. The greatest danger that the disciples would confront from the opposition of the world was really not death. Certainly that was part of it. It was apostasy. He, he was so concerned that because they had been taught one thing so long and most of the people in the synagogues that were teaching them we're teaching them the wrong thing about Messiah, the wrong thing about Jesus. And he said, one of the things you're going to have to face right out of the gate is they're going to throw you out of the synagogues if you claim that I am Messiah because they're going to say that's not true. And you're going to have to withstand false theology. You're going to have to withstand a false gospel. You're going to have to withstand a version of me and the Father that is incorrect. And you're going to have to be so ingrained that you won't be 
brought into this. Uh, they, they faced it first, of course, we know from the Jews, and, and they were first persecuted by the Jews um, because, you know, let's face it, Christianity, you know, it arose out of Judaism. I mean, that's where it came from. So, so the first attack was from the, from the Jewish people who did not believe. And, and, and they did, um, you know, th- they did think they were serving the synagogue and they were serving God by attacking the early church. And, um, and, and one of the people that, that, that you, you think about, and it's funny that this is the example, is, is the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul, uh, you know, he, he said, we face persecution on many fronts, certainly from other religions, or uh, other religions or, or anti-religious people, but many times it's from a false version of Jesus himself. And, and, and the irony is that the very persecution uh, they think um, uh, is, is, is every time they come after us and they do this persecution against the followers of Jesus, the thing that's always funny to me is they're just, they're just fulfilling exactly what Jesus said would happen. So they're denouncing Jesus, and by denouncing Jesus and attacking his church, they're fulfilling the very thing that Jesus said the world would do. I want you to think about this. He said, look, a lot of them are going to think they're doing a service to God. That includes Paul. I mean, Paul went after the early church with a vengeance and with tenacity, and he was 100% certain that he was doing service to God, but he was doing just the opposite. So God transforms him, redeems him, and then the you know Paul goes from persecuting the church to serving the church with the same personality and with the same tenacity that he once uh, persecuted him. I said that that's how God works. That's Jesus right there. I mean, he can, he can come into the life, <clears throat> even those who oppose him, and say with the same fervor that you oppose me. I will confront you with who I really am. If you submit to my authority, you repent of your sins, and you want to be redeemed, I'll redeem you, and then this same personality that you had that persecuted me, I'll use that same personality for you to advance my kingdom. So be careful when you go out into the world. You certainly will be persecuted as a follower of Jesus. You'll be persecuted by those who you are not religious, you <clears throat> who are agnostic, or they're... You're atheist, and that, that's to some degree. And you see some of that, and that happens. Uh, you'll have some that are from other religions. I mean, certainly uh, you would see people who oppose us that are Islamic. They, they certainly don't, don't hold us in very high regard. But the thing that I think that we um, <clears throat> need to be the most concerned about, and I don't have uh, COVID-19. I've been down the farm with a lot of pollen. But the thing I think we need the most concerned about is these false versions of Jesus. And they're everywhere. And you've got to be very careful. when you, you have, How many times have we said this? And Jesus made this clear. Just like the Secret Service, and it's always the best example, and I know we use it a lot because it's a good one, they can recognize counterfeit money because they have become so familiar, so familiar with the genuine article. We have to know the gospel. We have to know who Jesus is. We can't go through life being a follower of Jesus and not knowing enough about him to even see it when we are presented a false version of Jesus. we got to know the real deal. And so as we get ready, and we'll come back next week, we'll continue uh, with this work of the Holy Spirit into chapter 16. But um, know that this is a time, a great opportunity. 
You know, anytime there's adversity, anytime there's fear, anytime there's suffering, anytime, people are now looking for hope. And now more than ever, as we've just been told in, in, in the Gospel of John in 16, now more than ever, those of us that claim to be his disciples and hopefully are his disciples, we have the answers that the world is looking for, and God loves, so loves the people of the world that he'll do whatever he needs to do to give us our best shot. But what can't happen, look at me, what can't happen is for the world to be in a situation like it's in right now to look to you and to look to me for the answers, and we don't have them. If we don't have them, it's not because they haven't been given to us It's because we've rejected it or we have failed to be obedient to Jesus Christ and we will be held accountable for not having those answers. So be sure you do because moments like we're in right now, these are not foreign to the Word of God. Moments like this are not unique to a fallen creation. And the Lord God Almighty has told us exactly what to do when these opportunities present themselves. Remember the analogy. Remember the analogy. In times like this, what do you see when a hurricane comes? When you're the plywood salesman and, and the weather, and it's not hurricane season, and the weather is sunny and bright and everybody's okay and nobody's worried about a hurricane, then nobody cares about the plywood salesman. But when the hurricane's coming, suddenly the plywood salesman is a really popular person and everybody's looking for who has the plywood. We have the plywood. They're, 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 look, because you know what people are thinking about right now? I might die. You know what people, think, th- people are thinking about right now? I might lose my house because I can't work. They've shut down my business. They've shut down. What I, oh, look, my son, one of my sons right now, he's an actor. Every job that he has right now has been canceled or postponed. He has no income coming up over the next few months because he thought he had these jobs, but now he doesn't. So, so these are the moments, what, when he's called me and says he's afraid, then I get a chance to teach because I'm supposed to have the answers, and I do. Okay, I apply them to my own life, but I'm ready also to be there. Look, we're having unprecedented opportunities now. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the incredible teachings today. Thank you for for John and and making sure, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that that he got all this for us to sit here and consume. And and, in the year of our Lord, 2020, here we are still studying these incredible truths about you. May we apply them today. Lord, may we have the empathy that you called us to for those that are hurting right now. May we have the answers that people are looking for. Thank you, Lord, because we're connected to you, the true vine. You, the true vine, have the answers. And may we just take the things that you've taught us and let the world know that even on our worst day, that you, our king, came to us and redeemed us of the worst virus the world has ever known, and that is the sin virus. And may we never take that gift and treat it lightly. And may we respond to you by perseverance, by joy, hope, and peace only found in you, and by taking it out to the rest of the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. 
Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.